Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Nancy Sony, who's the CEO of Pathmatch and a talent partner at Hypothesis Ventures. Before that, she was also the founder and CEO of Filled, which was a top tech recruiting firm. In this episode, we go through how she started her couple of different companies, the whole recruiting and tech recruiting, kind of how that process works, how to get students, jobs, and internships through her new company, Pathmatch, and so much more in her career filled with different gems and insights that I think you're going to really enjoy. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show, leave a rating and review over an Apple podcast. And of course, of course, of course, the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is an episode you're going to love. I can't wait for you to listen. Without further ado, here is Nancy Sony, CEO of Pathmatch. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, great great to have you on, and there's a lot to chat about. So there's Pathmatch, there's Talent Partner at Hypothesis, there's the company you founded before, I'm a CEO with, with Phil. Uh, where I want to get started is where does this kind of passion for recruiting for people, that side of things, come from? Sure. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you my kind of life story, and I'm going to Absolutely. go really far back, but I will speed up um, closer to the end. So um, I grew up in the Midwest, um, and my parents, I'm first generation Chinese American, and when I went um, when I went to college, I kind of, you know, being Chinese, I was like, oh, I could either be an engineer, I could be a doctor, like you're, you're pretty <laughs> limited on your options, <laughs> and then yeah. you're an engineer. So I'm like, oh, I could be a doctor. So I spent all four years at Emory um, pre-med, took the MCATs, got into medical school. And by the time I was a junior, almost senior year, I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, and so I spent a little, a lot of time actually at the career center asking questions and really not getting a lot of answers. And so I ended up putting a resume together. Um, I knew I didn't want to go to medical school. So I was on a mission to go and find a job, a job that would allow for me to make as much money as possible so that I would never have to go to medical school. So I got really lucky. Um, I graduated during the height of the dot-com boom. I also speak Mandarin fluently. And so I ended up getting recruited to go and do technology recruiting where I was placing software engineers and I started in Atlanta and then within about a year they promoted me to Silicon Valley where I was basically heading up one of our teams placing software engineers at some of the coolest companies um, that still exist today and some really cool companies that don't exist. <laughs> um, and so for the better part of the last 20 years I've spent um, a ton of time. So. Um, very quickly, I started managing people. And over the last 20 years, I've personally hired and managed over 300 people. Um, the company, yeah, <laughs> the company that <laughs> I worked for before I started my own company was a um, really rapidly growing recruiting firm. And I, when I start, signed on, I was actually living out of Los Angeles and the company was out of Irvine. I was employee 42. And before this job, I had managed over 70 people and I was working from home. And before I knew it, a bunch of people that had previously worked for me came and worked out of my house. And so I negotiated with our CEO to get an office. And five years later, I had filled that office with roughly 60 people. I had been traveling to Boston a decent amount. And so I actually recruited people to open a Boston office. And then we did the same thing for New York. So in five years for that company, I hired over 100 people. And figured if I could do it for them, why not do it for myself? <laughs> so yep. I um, I started Filled, which um, our kind of sweet spot was rapidly growing startup companies. So startups that had raised, usually the sweet spot was Series A through Series C, where they you know they're utilizing that um, capital for hiring, and often they you know to keep up with the velocity of hiring, they need really really experienced internal recruiting talent, but that usually doesn't exist in mass quantities. Yeah. And so, um, more often than not, companies would come to us and say, hey, we need engineers, we need designers, we need product managers. And so where we ended up closer to the last year or two of the business was really these companies that needed to hire 20 to maybe a couple hundred people per year. Um, we ended up building a subscription model for these companies where we would do mass hiring um, have someone internally at their office and then my team externally out of our office would actually fill 
engineering, product design, sales, marketing, ops, accounting, finance, you name it, we would fill it. <laughs> um, and so along the way, my passion, very long-winded um, answer, but the passion really comes from, I, I would estimate that I've seen over 4 million resumes over the course of the last four Oh, years. wow. And what that has afforded me is this really uncanny ability to look at a resume and tell you exactly how much someone makes, um, whether or not they're going to be able to find a job, how difficult that job search is going to be, and you know where that comes from. Uh, where that affects me is I look at college students now and how quickly the world is really changing. The workforce is changing. The you know kind of what companies look for. Um, is really changing. And the thing is, the last people to know about it are the students that are currently spending crazy amounts of money on a college education. And so um, that passion has, less, has led me to PathMatch, which is basically helping connect students to digitally enabled career paths and then helping them learn skills that companies look for um, and then helping them kind of find the right types of companies. And then on the flip side, building the marketplace to help companies um, land strong talent. That's amazing. We <laughs> definitely will talk about path match way more. And yeah. I think it's something that's obviously so needed. Where I want to go back to though, especially for people who would be wondering, with Phil, when you founded this company that like, I'm doing this work anyways for someone else, I could do this work for myself. Take me through actually starting that company and like, like what was day one? And you're like, all right, here we go. I'm doing my own thing. Like, how did that how did that happen? So it actually um, it's funny. So I had some startup clients that would come to me and early stage um, say, hey, would you be up for trading some cash comp for equity? And unfortunately, when I went under the, you know, kind of umbrella of another company, unfortunately, I couldn't do that. And so right. the impetus really was, well, I've been working with these amazing companies and I can't really, um, you know, be as flexible as I'd like to be on, you know, kind of how we do our pricing. So part of it was that. And so um, I ended up starting to really be able to invest in um, both time and some money into some of the companies that I was doing a lot of work with. And so going to address your question, um, that initial um, starting off, I think starting filled was easier because I had already opened so many offices for the companies that I previously joined that the initial portion, it was basically just me um, and a couple of other people. So that was not that different. It was actually scaling Phil that actually, um, you know, posed some <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do tell, Nancy. Tell me about the scaling of, of Phil. How did that go? Oh, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, experience um, usually gets rid of some of the hubris. And I think in the first you know, we, we came out of the gates running. So like my yeah. first year um, running Philip, I think we did close to a million dollars in top line revenue. It's a really strong margin business. And yeah. so I was like, okay, well, this, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> and year two, I think we hired and, you know, year one, I think we were like two or three people. Um, year two, we ended up ending the year at close to like 2.4 million. Oh, wow. And that was with, I want to say six, seven people. And I was still, you know, doing a lot of the recruiting and generating a decent amount of revenue and then bringing people on. And then year three was when we actually started to put a little bit of um, you know, kind of fuel to that. And a lot of our clients were actually um, referred to us by venture capital firms. And so we had a massive um, client roster in New York. And I didn't really have an office there. And I was constantly traveling, traveling to New York almost once a month. And so what I needed or thought I needed was an office in New York and, and recruiters there. So I opened New York and um, made the mistake of hiring someone that wasn't the great fit. Um, and, you know, just lots and lots of lessons learned um, in terms of preparing that. And with that, I mean, to that point of the hiring side and growing that team, then even like your internal team, what was most helpful for you in terms of hiring your own team? Like either the questions you asked or the process you used to bring people on board? It's so funny. I, I've spent 20 years um, helping companies and entrepreneurs hire people. And it's so much easier to do as an outside, you know, <laughs> as an external person, because you're not emotionally attached to that hire. And you can kind of poke holes at, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? 
Um, whereas when you're doing it on your own, just inevitably there are going to be blind spots. Um, most of our team was internally referred by another person. So you just, because of that, give a little bit of benefit of the doubt in terms of certain things. Um, for the most part, we had great people, but here and there, you know, there, um, there were some people that just culturally weren't a great fit or amazing, um, as recruiters in terms of revenue generated, but just, you know, horrible for the culture. And so lots and lots of things that you learn along the way. <laughs> yes. And, and as the company grew, you mentioned like a million top line to two plus and then beyond that. I mean, what were some of the, the, the challenges with scaling there or, or things that maybe you would have done differently about that process as well? Um, it's funny. I, um, you know, it's been a few years now. Um, so challenges, Little things, I mean, this is going to sound so funny, but, um, and it's especially funny given that we're in the middle of COVID. Um, every year, well, so the vast majority of my team were millennials. And every yep. year I'd notice kind of a drop off in April and then May. And when I actually figured it out after like year two, I realized Coachella, we had the Coachella. <laughs> you know, there's just like the cyclicality of we, yeah. every have people going on the Coachella diet. And so they'd start <laughs> after all starting <laughs> preparing for Coachella. And then everybody, um, you know, Coachella's two weeks. And so people come back and they get sick. And so it impacted our revenue to the tune of like a couple hundred thousand dollars every, you know, kind of for the month, if not even more than that. And so I started doing some pre Coachella prep and post Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's like little things like that, that you don't even think about that can affect your business. That's so funny to think about like, yeah, who your employees are. What's, what's like, why are they not working? What, what's our drop off every single year at the same exact time? I it would be like Coachella. 60%, uh, <laughs> two weeks and then their stagecoach. It's like that period of time, we basically have almost everyone taking time off. And so, um, whether it's week one, week two or stagecoach, we have essentially like We'd be running at like 50% capacity. Um, so anyway, little things like that, that you just can't really plan for and, and don't know until kind of after the fact. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's something, yeah, you, it's an after the fact that you don't know until you're going through that and you're like, wait a minute, this all makes sense now. I'm figuring it out. One thing I have to go back to too, with even just all your experience in, in recruiting, when, when companies are considering you know hiring a, a firm, for instance, like Field versus trying to do it internally, I mean, what were some of the things that they, they should be thinking about in terms of recruiting in, in that capacity? So I think what they should be thinking about is, and, and this is something that I really stress with my team, um, can't just look at a resume. You know, people, when you're, especially in the startup world, what you need as a you know, pre-seed or seed-funded startup company is really different from what you need as a Series A funded or Series B, Series C funded startup company. And so the resume may look the exact same, the skills may look almost identical, but it's the people. And the soft skills in terms of ability to deal with ambiguity and lack of structure is so important at every stage of kind of scaling teams. And so when I would work with startup companies, you know, the reason why we actually, I, we barely ever did any marketing, every single client was internally referred by another client or a venture capital firm. And the reason being, you actually have to speak the language and understand what companies need before they even really sometimes understand it themselves. So yeah, getting those referrals was huge. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, you know, when you're hiring, um, you just kind of, and this is, this is both the challenge I face even as an entrepreneur and, you know, with someone with a lot of experience hiring um, for myself and other people is that you just kind of, as you're going through it, you realize how important every single hire is, but then you have the things that are tugging at getting that, that position filled as quickly as possible because you have a gaping hole. And so, um, you know, there's obviously always the market dynamics of, you know, kind of dearth of talent, which um, really was prevalent in the last 10 years. Um, so you're just constantly trying to plug those holes versus being ahead of the curve in terms of understanding, you know, okay, here's where we're, here's where we are now. Here's what we're needing in the future. How do I go out and network to prepare for that? Um, or, you know, kind of leverage my people to help us kind of get ahead of that curve. 
Yeah, yeah. And one more thing I want to just stress and kind of ask about on, on that point with with these companies is obviously a lot of different founders at different levels, entrepreneurs at different levels listening to the show. And how should they think about or you know understand at what point they may want to reach out to a recruiting firm with growth versus you know just keep going with how they've kind of done things always internally? Like I, I'm just really curious about that and like your, what your perspective is on on that for founders. Sure. So I think. Early on, you know, I think a recruiting firm, especially if you're looking at a contingency recruiting firm, um, they charge fees of 20 to 30%. And so I would say if you're early and you don't have, you know, millions in the bank, um, you're better off going out and finding your own people, um, getting on to different platforms or just networking and finding kind of culture fit because it matters a lot. Um, but once you get to a certain point, you, I would turn down clients that were pre, you know, like anyone who hadn't raised a decent sized seed because I just didn't feel great about taking their money. So I would give um, yeah. you know, some guidance. There's a few places that I would go early on because this is going to cost you twenty, thirty thousand dollars if not sometimes more than that. Do you really want to go, go this route? So that's, that's kind of number one early for early stage entrepreneurs. Number two is finding the right recruiting firm. There are not even just the recruiting firm. For some of these recruiting firms have, you know, 10, 15, hundreds of recruiters. And it's actually finding the recruiter that actually understands your business, which, you know, I think the, that that's often, you know, if you speak to enough um, entrepreneurs and, and um, people in business, finding great recruiters isn't the easiest thing. And so Having someone who truly understands your business, understands exactly what you're looking for, and really grilling them on their actual process in terms of identifying talent—that's super important. Yeah, and you mentioned there being some resources for entrepreneurs and founders that are just a little bit too early stage. Are there any in particular you'd suggest to them for finding talent? Yeah, actually, you know what? I just jumped on um, a startup company called LunchClub.ai, and what you know, what's great about that is that. They match you with, it's not even a recruiting tool, but it's great um, for just networking in general. And based on what you're looking for, whether you're looking to fundraise, whether you're looking to do business development, whether you're looking for um, looking to hire, they'll match you with people that are on the platform and you just do these introductory calls. And so I found, especially given that I'm out, out of the recruiting game, um, yep. as I look to what am I looking for in the future, how do I make sure that I... Um, have a really strong sense of the pulse of the market and what's out there. And then really, what do I really need? I've been doing two, two calls a week just to make sure that I'm kind of sharp on, on what's going on. And then also just continuing to build my network. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely heard of them and it looks like such a cool company as well yeah. with Lunch Club. And there are other ones out there just in terms of like networking and, and finding talent sure. if you if you put the time in, obviously, to, to be able to do that. And, and obviously, I want to talk about PathMatch. I want to talk about first, though, the transition from failed to then starting PathMatch. How did that go? How'd you get to that point? Um, so when I sold Filled, um, you know, it was almost five years of my life and <laughs> I just knew that I needed to take a break. And so randomly enough, we were um, on vacation and I remember thinking like, you know, why do these college students come out of college with like no clue? Like, I had no clue, but I just thought that that was me because I had been on the pre-med track. And fast yeah. forward, you know, we have so much, like when I graduated college, Google barely existed, right? Like that's how far we've come along. And yet with all of the content online, with all of the stuff that you can find on YouTube and all of the different, you know, kind of sites, there's really not a lot of really great content on helping students make probably one of the most important decisions they'll make in their lives. And so originally I kind of started um, with that and the route that I decided to go was um, kind of a high-end consulting business, helping college students really match to career paths that I knew were in demand based on what I was constantly looking for for companies and then um, helping them along the way. And what really kind of dawned on me was the typical parent. So I built a Facebook funnel, parents would find us um, through Facebook and then watch a webinar and then book a call. And it was an expensive program. Um, and really where I ended up spending a lot of time was helping students find jobs or internships. And so where I ended up with PathMatch was working with all of these students and a lot of parents, you know, wouldn't know to do any of the kind of during college work 
And so their students, their, their kids will graduate college and not be able to find jobs. And that's when they yeah. reach out. And the problem is if you haven't spent those four years in college being really intentional about what you want to do and really signaling, I think the vast majority of students really do not understand that that resume that you end up sending tells a story, tells a story about how hardworking you are, how you know passionate you are about XYZ, how knowledgeable you are and how likely you are to be a decent hire. And if you don't know that, you're not going to spend those four years in college working towards that. And so where kind of the impetus for Path Naturally started was really working with a lot of these students and students often that went to really good schools. I can't even tell you how many Stanford grads that couldn't find jobs after nine months. Wow. Yes. Not, not schools that you would think um, would actually produce people that are unemployed or underemployed, but it happens and it happens so often. Um, so not to get too super long-winded, but the 2018-2019 numbers are really crazy. 50% of college graduates do not have a job by graduation. Actually, only 33% of college graduates actually have a job prior to graduation. And then 17% of students uh, or grads actually plan to go on to continuing education, which means there's a 50% um, of these grads that actually do not have jobs post-graduation. And then for 2019, it took roughly seven and a half months for the average person to find a job. Um, but of that 50%, 50% of, um, of those um, grads actually took jobs that didn't require a bachelor's degree. So meaning they went into bartending, they went in and worked as baristas, they went and worked as Uber drivers, they ended up working. So they may be employed, but you didn't need a hundred fifty to $300,000 degree to be an Uber driver. Right. So it's seeing that and being on the receiving end of all of these resumes, because I've been a recruiter and ran my own firm and was constantly hiring. It's so frustrating. <laughs> and the thing is, getting parents and students to understand that college is, you know, I think the vast majority of people think that college, you know, going to a good school and college will just help, you know, once you have a college degree, you'll be able to land a job. That is unfortunately not the reality because we have 2 million college graduates or, you know, people graduating from college every year and we don't have 2 million entry-level jobs. One thing I want to go back to, you mentioned having like the Facebook funnel with parents to a webinar and then really having these conversations with them. How did you decide that you wanted to go like a high-end kind of consulting almost route for the start of this company? Yeah. So um, it's random. I um, One of my friends was going through this program and it taught them how to do kind of like a high-end coaching business. And so I went through the program and, um, you know, it's your time is money and given how much I sold my business for and how much companies used to pay us to find people. Um, it really was, you know, okay, well, as I'm just getting started, the types of people that would spend money to make sure that their kids are employed will, you know, will spend a certain amount of money on, on this kind of service. And so it started with that. Um, but as I started working with that and really getting an understanding of really, you know, part of it was just kind of understanding our users and our buyers, right? The buyers are the parents, the users are the students and really understanding what were the weak, what were the pain points, what were the issues, where were students going wrong, where were parents going wrong and where are colleges going wrong? Um, and really kind of spending about a year and a half really understanding that, um, and so the way I did it was kind of the high-end coaching where I could actually still do a decent amount of kind of work on what I knew I wanted to do, which is, you know, I started out as career design, um, but what I knew I wanted to do was actually build out this larger marketplace for talent, entry-level talent. And so by working with students, you know, kind of in helping them, I understood what was going wrong. So going from that, then, what is, in terms of path match today, then, what you offer, can you just take us through a little bit more on that, like how that transition what happened into what you actually have an offer today on path match? Yeah. So um, interesting, uh, if you look at our website today, it's going to look very different uh, three weeks from now, but um, <laughs> to be able to offer what we wanted to be able to offer to students. So it's interesting when I look at all this, I, I help a lot of our students pick out their classes and pick majors. And when I look at what's available to them, I'm like, nobody takes a class on how to be successful or, you know, learning and studying companies and understanding what's the difference between one company versus another company. And how does that equate to your overall network and, and all this stuff? And so, you know, there's a lot of content that goes into training students. And as I was trying to build this, 
it started out as a one-to-one. And then what I started to figure out is what can I do as a one-to-many to bring the costs down? And so the yeah. goal is for us to eventually be able to offer this as a complete freemium service where we are able to provide a lot of content to everyone and then you know certain very personalized content to people who are paying. And so we're probably step B in terms of we <laughs> over the last six months built a ton of content. So when we launch um, the new site in three weeks, um, we will have over 400 companies, um, 400 of the top companies that hire entry-level talent. What do they look for? What are the, what internships do they offer? What new grads do they hire? What are their um, kind of hiring plans? So when do applications open? When do they applications close? When do they start interviewing? What do they look for? What schools do they recruit from? Um, what does it take? How do students actually get their foot in the door? All of those things. And then we also provide a lot of content on resume writing. So the vast majority of students have no clue. And this year is probably going to be the most important, crucial year, just because campus recruiting is the one area of recruiting that has really not changed all that much. You still have companies that have these relationships within uh, career centers at these schools um, where they go and collect resumes at these career fairs. Well, this year, that resume collection is going to be done all virtually. And so, yeah. or you could have a, you know, de- semi-decent resume and you could wow someone at a career fair by making, you know, a quick impression. But it, when you're doing that virtually and when you're submitting your resume through applicant tracking system, there's a whole nother ball of wax in terms of understanding the algorithms that actually sort these resumes. And that's where I think a lot of students who don't understand that and the career centers also do not understand that. That's where there's going to be a lot of kind of um, interesting kind of market shifts this year. Yeah, it's going to be so different. I mean, mm-hmm. this this COVID environment has changed everything, especially yeah. in the education sector where things are really going to evolve and, and change. And it's interesting to see other companies who are, you know, whether you look at a company like Career Karma, who's helping people get into coding boot camps who want to do something different for a career yep. going that path, other kind of ed tech companies uh, in the space too. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with the actual recruiting to going into these different jobs, there's so many different uh, opportunities. What I'm wondering, you mentioned those like 400 companies you have. Mm-hmm. How did you assign those 400 companies and those were the ones you wanted to kind of feature? So the goal is to continue to grow um, and, you know, get to thousands of companies. But a lot of it is, right. what are where's the density of hiring going to, right? So like companies like Deloitte and Accenture and EY and, you know, PwC, they hire thousands of people into internships and thousands of people as new grads. And I think the vast majority of students really do not understand that com- a, a lot of companies out there start actually making their hires um, sophomore into junior year, not post-graduation. Um, right. And that is the stuff that kind of de- basically decides whether you're going to make $40,000, $50,000 or eighty dollars to $100,000. Um, and that's the stuff that I want to change is if you don't know, you can't do it. If you don't know, you can't make the right decisions for your life. And those are the things that can really hold people back financially. Yeah. And it's such a huge change from having those two different types of jobs. I mean, looking at what your potential is, if you have more of an idea and more of a plan while you're going through your undergrad, it just changes everything from a starting point after college. Yeah. If you have that, you know, have that advice and have that knowledge. One thing too, with, with early on, you had mentioned how you're kind of acquiring customers. What does that strategy look like today in terms of, you know, how you're getting the word out and spreading the word about PathMatch? So, um, a lot of, it's interesting. So early on, um, it was a lot of the Facebook funnel running ads. Um, and then for the last year, a lot of it was just word of mouth. It was, you know, parents, um, you know, interestingly enough, parents don't just have one child. So <laughs> one child goes through and they get success and they find internships and jobs. Um, the other thing is it's a lot of repeat clients. So like we would help a student land an internship their sophomore year, which is usually pr- fairly difficult. And then they come back for the junior year. And then if they re- received the return offer, we were totally good and they were done. But if they didn't, then it was, um, you know, coming back for the job search process. Um, but when when you have a lot of success, the second, you know, the second sibling and the third sibling and, and some of these big families, you know, I've, I've worked with families where I've worked with two to three um, siblings at the same time. And so that's always, you know, really interesting because they are always so very different. Um, yeah. So it, a lot of it is kind of word of mouth referrals, and then we still run ads um, 
we took them down and, and I guess, you know, um, this question may or may not come up, but COVID changed things because um, originally a lot of parents were coming to us, um, you know, with their, you know, getting ready to graduate seniors. And a lot of what we were doing as of January, February was helping a lot of students get jobs. And so come March, I knew um, right around COVID that things were going to get really hairy. And so I stopped running ads um, really so that we could take the time to really build the content that I wasn't able to build as, you know, as easily when I was just purely doing the coaching and really spent the time, um, and this is also post pre-seed raise, um, really spent the time to actually build a lot of the content. So building the tools, building the templates, building all the things that I was kind of doing ad hoc for students, but really doing it on purpose so that this school year, we're actually launching with a ton of content, you know, just a ton of tools. And then also the programming, which is helping students understand these career paths, talking to professionals, understanding how to do networking in kind of the age of COVID. Yeah. It, oh God, what a different, what a different age with that. I mean, one thing you mentioned, there's two things I want to go into, but first with, with the content side of it, how are you creating content, thinking through content and with that, the curriculum as well with this? Yeah. So a lot of the content is really short snippets. Um, you know, I think a lot of what I originally started with were these like old, boring, you know, like PowerPoint presentations with like voiceover <laughs> and realize, okay, well, that's not going to work. Um, and starting to make it just kind of short snippets. Sometimes we just use YouTube videos where it's like someone else talking about the day in the life of being a product manager or a day in the life of this or that. And so giving students just a variety of, um, you know, video-based content, um, blog-based content. And then a lot of the value is um, over the summer, we actually fairly sizable number of our students that we actually helped land internships. They had their internships rescinded, their internship offers rescinded because of, yeah. because of COVID. And so um, we had a number of students reach out and say, you know, and let us know that they did not have internships. And so we actually brought them on as unpaid interns to basically do the research to help them land internships or jobs for the next year. And so they helped us build the content. So what they were doing was actually networking with professionals in their intended career path and actually doing these video, basically video based interviews like what you and I are doing right now. Um, and picking their brain on how do you become a UX designer? How do you get into UX research? How did you find this? What do you do every single day? What are your challenges? What do you look for when you recruit? It's just basically asking a ton of questions for themselves and then recording them so that future students can actually watch that content. Yeah, which is literally like the exact thing with this, with Just Go Grind. It's like yeah. interviewing all these different entrepreneurs and all these different questions in different industries to be like, if you're building a company in any industry at any level, there's multiple perspectives on how to do that. And that's like the whole type of thing behind it. And, and one thing, the second thing I, I mentioned I wanted to dig into was uh, there's obviously this mention of we behind Pathmatch. So who is the team behind Pathmatch? How big is this team? And like, and what are the kind of the roles or just some of the different things that, that go into making this company run and making this happen? Yeah. So I'm really lucky in that when I started all of this, so when I sold Phil, probably a couple months after I was talking to someone that I knew pretty well, um, Peter Brock, who is one of the partners at Hypothesis. And um, I had just left um, my, you know, post, post sale and, and um, I just kind of was wrapping up and he, he was talking to me about Hypothesis and what they were planning on building and kind of the studio model. And um, this was also kind of around the time of opportunity zones. And so we started talking. And so he asked me if I would join on as talent partner in that obviously early stage startups. Um, one of the things that can go wrong often is hiring. And so yeah. I, I joined them as one of the early kind of partners and specifically focused on talent. And so along that lines, you know, it wasn't a full-time job. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have a ton of portfolio companies, so I could actually dabble in this. And then they closed their round um, at, while my business was scaling. And I think I showed them some of our numbers and um, put together a deck for them and said, hey, what do you guys think? So I have been really lucky in that both I'm a partner as well as a portfolio company. So um, I have the benefit of all of the partners at Hypothesis chipping in so I didn't have to make a lot of the initial um, full-time hires. So I do not have a dedicated full-time engineer. I have our Hypothesis engineers. I do not have a dedicated designer. I have our Hypothesis designers. And, and um, <laughs> so I've been able to put together a team of really strong consultants 
to actually help us kind of get to um, various stages of MVP and where we are today and um, where we'll be launching um, August 8th, 17th. That's awesome. And it just goes to show the power of having this network built up and what that can you know, afford you later on in your career. And as you go through your career, where you're able to then have this type of an arrangement, it would never be possible if you didn't yeah. know these people and have those relationships. You know, it's, it's so important. And and with the hiring side as well for, for Pathmatch and kind of going that route, how did you think through, okay, who do we need to bring on first? Who do we need to bring on next? Because yeah. like, there's so many different things a, a startup founder is thinking of. I'm curious about your perspective on that. Sure. So um, my my first two hires were actually content um, people. So um, part of the challenge, and, and I'm so glad I did this, um, but one of the things that I was originally playing around with was, do I go out and get office space? And I looked at a bunch of office space. I looked at a lot of co-working spaces, and I actually was so close to signing, um, signing on the dotted line for space that I probably would be so you know unhappy that I had done uh, <laughs> in March. Um, but... I decided, I kind of pulled the plug on that and decided I would just have a bunch of people work out of my house. So that actually did change up my hiring and that whoever you feel comfortable having work out of your home when you have a husband who, you know, um, is my husband works in finance, nothing even remotely close to, um, you know, the startup world, but having yeah. husband and child um, out of the same house and having people come to your home and work out of your home every single day obviously provides a extra layer of, um, <laughs> you know, filter in terms of who do you feel comfortable opening your home to? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and it's different. I'm not a 20 something year old living out of an apartment. Um, you know, I'm the 40 something year old living out of a home. And so it just, you know, that added a little bit of layer of stuff to things. So anyway, um, my first initial hires, just because I knew I was still working with um, roughly 20, 30 students at any given time. But I was going to be really busy on that. And so I knew um, I was going to need full-time people to actually build out content, build out our email marketing, um, automation, doing a lot of that. I had um, a another career coach that I brought on. And so over our, our site is also still um, being updated, but I brought on a couple of additional career coaches um, to actually help us kind of continue to scale out what we're offering to students. There's so many things to unpack with with the with the hiring thing, but uh, I, I love that you're you're finding a way to make it work for you. And like even the test of like, oh, you know, they're gonna be coming to your home. I think people should think of that anyways in terms of like, what if they were gonna come to your home? Would you wanna have these people in your home when thinking about hiring? Yeah. Because that's such a great test to be like, Yeah, I don't really see this person being that person. It's like, okay, well then yeah, it's just not gonna be a good fit. Uh, and find people you're super comfortable with that obviously have the talent to do what you need to do for the company um, as well with that. And with Pathmatch too, so two years, two years in now, like a little bit over two years in now, like what kind of traction have you gotten in, the, in, the, in these two years here of running Pathmatch? Yeah. So interestingly, um, the first year and a half is probably the, e not easier because it's never easy. Um, <laughs> we were getting some really good traction. And a lot of it is when you're charging five to 10 grand on a consulting service, um, it's yeah. hard to actually build on top of it. And then, um, you know, per family, you would be working with multiple students. So we, we got some decent traction, but really a lot of, you know, COVID kind of forced us to pause because um, I didn't want to yeah. take on additional students because the, um, the ability to deliver on finding a student a job um, required me to do, you know, to basically turn clients down if I didn't know that I could actually help them. And that's not the right. I wanted to build. And so I just decided, okay, let me put a pin on this and actually build out the content so that we can start fall 2020 with the program that and the, and the platform that I really wanted to build. So we've been doing a lot of testing, a lot of um, experimentation on, I think we've built, uh, 10, 12 different landing pages and just testing pricing and testing messaging and testing a lot of that because, you know, initially we, the, my team, we're trying to figure out is because our user is a student, but our buyer is always going to be the parent. Students don't know. There's so many things tugging at their time and interest. You know, do I spend more time on Instagram and TikTok versus going and writing my resume? Um, whereas parents do have a little bit of a clue. <laughs> we were experimenting yeah. with, are we selling to students or do we sell to parents? And, um, you know, I think we know that answer. Um, and I think it's a little bit of both, right? You have to sell to both parties because if they don't understand it, you can't actually get anything done. Um, so it's that. And then on the third piece is, um, you know, eventually it's actually selling to employers. 
the more um, the longer term mission of the business, and and we're not close to that yet. Um, I think we're probably about a year out from really doing much on the employer side. But is on my end when I what I found challenges in is entry level hiring has the is the least data centric hiring because you just don't have that much. You can't really get that many references. You can't really kind of tri- triangulate. Is this person the most amazing hire? And so. Really, what employers now look at, given how mu- how much people turn over in those first year to two years, they look at what internships you have and what skills do you have and all these things. And so the world has really changed in and around that. And so the goal is to provide employers this entire data layer. So on one end, on the student side, we're actually helping them understand their hireability rating um, yeah. as they build skills, as they build experience they increase their hireability rating. And that is actually very different depending on what companies they want to work for. So if you want to go and work for Google, it's a very different skill set than going and working for some you know, early stage scrappy startup. And the skill, the tools are going to be completely different um, versus if you want to go work in finance, right? Going and getting a job at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley is a really different um, <laughs> than going to work at Amazon. And so the vast majority of students don't know that. And even more importantly, the parents don't know that. And so part of it is actually kind of changing those, the mentality of that. And it's, it's a lot of just content and messaging. So we're kind of still early stage. We are just launching um, and, and really kind of experimenting. So um, yes, I'm two years in, but I had a um, consulting business that I had to kind of take apart to actually build the, the true startup company. Yeah, and it's so interesting because there's always this building phase early on. Yeah. And even when some people say like, "Oh, we started in in this year," but really the company started like two years later, a year later, mm-hmm. you know, because they actually launched their their product that they see that they, they had the vision for in the first place um, for that type of thing as well. And is there any thought or uh, future kind of plans around? beyond the entry level. I'm just thinking of like, obviously I just went through an MBA at USC and there's so many people even in in that level who are, you know, they're clueless on what they want to do and, you know, how they want to go about this. And it's a different, it's a different game than an entry level job. I'm curious if there's any plans on that as well. Yeah. So really where, where this all started was really, how do we actually make change? So there's this huge thing with the future of work and the skills gap, right? And how do you close that skills gap? So there's a lot of different areas that you can work on. I kind of started with entry level because you could, you could do more quickly on that realm. Um, but what really is, you know, kind of the massive plan is once we actually get a sense for, you know, and, and really this comes to the data around what makes certain people tick. So our algorithms that we've built are around, um, you know, personality traits and what people's strengths are and where they want to live and what do they value. Those are the things that often don't come into effect when you're hiring entry level. But they also apply to early career, mid-career, late career. Um, and so understanding what, what those things really are to each person and what each person values, that isn't just an entry-level thing. That's a long-term scale thing. And so the platform for both you know, kind of mid-career, late career is really how do we understand and build the algorithms to actually help, under, help the average job, you know, any job seeker understand more about themselves and the companies they would be a good fit for. So like someone on, you know, searching for a job right now on Indeed or on LinkedIn, they're just looking for any company that matches. They're doing running searches around either a skill set or a job title, and they're just sending resumes, you know, looking at the job description, figuring out may or may not be doing a little research on those companies. What if we could shrink that? What if we could tell you, hey, based on who you are, what you're good at, what you want to do, these are the best companies for you. And here's what they look for and how do you actually stand out. And then on the flip side for companies, it is, here's what your company culture looks like. Here's, you know, through machine learning and AI, we can tell you that your marketing team, um, you know, your email marketing team is like this and your content marketing team is like this and your social media marketing team is like this and your design team, you know, each team within a company has its own microculture and each person that you add to that little microculture can either contribute to it or take away from it. And the more we can actually help companies understand these kind of internal hiring um, microcosms and how they actually add to make it better, the the more you know, the more effective the actual platform becomes. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does make sense. And Nancy, this is 
incredibly exciting. This is something I early on in the NBA, I was like considering like this type of thing, and just in terms of helping people with careers, because I saw that kind of gap as well. And I, I didn't end up pursuing that specifically, more so going towards the entrepreneur route of like helping people, you know, starting and growing businesses. But this is a space that it's it's so needed. And I think with what you're doing, uh, you're going to help a ton of people in this in this world of you know find right career, which is such a huge part of life. And I'm just really really excited for what you're going to be doing. Um, one thing too, I always ask people because I'm. I'm a huge reader. Is there any books that you love that have been helpful for you, whether it be just personally or or with business? Oh my god! So let me pull up my Audible. Um, yes. I, uh, oh my god! I'm I excited. <laughs> clients um, when I was doing recruiting, and I am a lifelong. So as a parent, you don't have as much time, and an entrepreneur, you don't have as much time to sit down and read a book. And so Audible sure. has become, you know, and I live in Los Angeles, so I'm in my car pre-COVID in my car a decent amount. Um, so, uh, COVID. Oh, COVID. so many, so many great, so many great books. I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard of like, you know, I mean, I'm sure people kind of throw out there the lean startup, um, on the marketing front, like I don't have a strong background in marketing. So like crossing the chasm, um, there's one that's called start at the end that I thought was really good. Oh man. I mean, <laughs> I could throw a lot out. You, you, you can keep rattling off. I, I'll include all these in the show okay. notes as well awesome. for people. Well, traction was a good one. Um, obviously the e E-Myth Revisited. Oh, yep. The One Page Marketing Plan is a good one. The Leader's Guide. Oh, Predictably Irrational is a good one. Ooh, um, ooh I love this one. Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Ah, that's a special book for me. I actually listened to that book with my best friend on a road trip from Wisconsin to San Diego for an internship. Ooh, that's, <laughs> a, that's a really good road trip. Uh, yeah. Hacking Growth. Um, if someone's interested in fundraising, mastering the VC game, or even venture deals is good. Oh, yeah. Brad um, Feld's book. Yep. You know, there's the kind of good old zero to one. Um, there's, oh, Trillion Dollar Coach by Eric Schmidt and John Jonathan Rosenberg. There's so many. I have a full, my Audible library. And just So Nancy, you're saying that you listen to a few books. I listen to a lot of books. I try to get through a book every other week. Oh, wow. How do you decide on which book you choose? I'm curious about that. Um, you know, I, there's so many different things that um, I may sometimes listen to multiple books at the same time. And a lot of it is really, yeah. what do I need at that time? So um, this is not a real business book, but I really, really, you know, when I just need a kick in the pants and just got, you know, kind of to set me right, um, there's a Jen Sincero book called You Are a Badass. Mm-hmm. And whatever's going on in my life, whether it's a personal thing or a professional thing, it's just kind of mentally set me straight. I've listened to the book probably five or six times. And oh, wow. yeah, it's one of those where every single time I listen to the book, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's good. And kind of <laughs> so much of entrepreneurship is not just what you do every single day. It's how your brain works and how you're thinking about things. And it is, you know, you can talk about the growth mindset and you can talk about grit, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I, if. For anyone wanting to get become an entrepreneur, I think a lot of schools talk about entrepreneurship and kind of glorify it. But like, let me tell you what it's really like. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just getting in the weeds and, and, you know, kind of at times being frustrated on a consistent basis until you're not. And just, you know, butting your head up against the wall until you actually don't. And so yeah, that's the stuff where having, you know, kind of the mechanisms and the triggers to help kind of get your mind right is really helpful. Yeah, I love that. And it's, yeah, it's your point of like glorifying entrepreneurship and having having talked to so many entrepreneurs now, even like just recently, like yesterday, I talked to Cole Zucker, who grew a company to like 60 plus million in revenue. And he he started off by like cold emailing and cold calling and got no traction. So he went door to door selling light bulbs. In San Francisco, wow. uh, and to get to get you know his like his first year, and it's just like that's the type, types of things it takes. Like it's not you know it's not sexy early on, and like he was living out of his car for a bit. Like there's so many different things like people don't understand. Like it can be a lot of sacrifice yeah. to get to the point, um, but obviously it can also work out very well at times as well uh, if you keep going. And one thing I, I love to ask as well is how do you kind of recharge or step away from from work? So I am. Um... You know, I think maybe potentially a little bit older than a lot of entrepreneurs. So um, I have gone through a lot of things in terms of just kind of life um, in, in getting what I think is really important out of being present in so many things. So 
I get up every day. Um, well, right now, because of my daughter, figure skating, I'm getting up at 4.30 most mornings. Um, but <laughs> yeah. before, you know, kind of our early morning skating, I was getting up at 5.15 every single morning for basically the last 16, 17 years. Um, so that I do get my time in, I will journal, I will meditate, and then I spend roughly, 40, you know, kind of worst case scenario, 30 minutes and best case scenario, an hour working out six days a week. And so that is my time. That is the time where I work through some stuff I mentally think through, or I just completely just disconnect and focus on, you know, kind of myself, because throughout the day, you don't get a lot of that time um, to do that. So um my day starts with that every single day. And then um, I do do try to make time because I am married. I, you know, I, I spend, you know, every night, you know, laying in bed watching a little bit of Netflix with my husband. So I guess yeah, um, that's what we do. And then it's on the weekends. It's going, you know, we love to go and have meals um, together and doing date nights. And so um, whether it's just as a couple or um, with some friends, you know, obviously COVID has posed a couple challenges. So, oh, COVID. Oh, dear COVID. Yeah. So I've, I've um, turned my backyard. We, we've got a great deck. And so we have, um, you know, socially distanced dinners in the backyard. And so, you know, you have to have, this is the long game. You know, you can't go into entrepreneurship thinking that like, you're going to come up with this amazing idea and sell that business within, you know, a year or two. It just really, you know, right. It, happens here and there, but it is, you know, you're rarely going to sell it for much in that first two years. So you have to understand that this life still goes on and it's not just about the destination. It really is about the journey. And so I do try to make sure that I, you know, I, I have a tendency to be a workaholic and I will say that every, what every single weekend, (laughs) um, I started this, I've probably worked, you know, a good 20 hours, if not more per weekend. And as a parent that can get challenging. So it's just making sure that you make time to have fun, um, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. And, and there's so much to, to echo there as well. And I've been thinking like, like just go grind. It's been two plus years now. Even when I started, I was basically in my head thinking nothing's going to come with this for like five years yeah. and just keep going, yeah. and, you know, and then, then you just put in the work to, to grow it and good things start to happen. Uh, I think that's a good you know, mentality to have. And, and Nancy, where can people go to learn more about uh, all that you're working on? Um, we'll follow us on at the path match. Um, so our Instagram is at the path match. Our Facebook is at the path match. Um, if you come to our website, pathmatch.com, they will, they will definitely see us as we continue to grow. Amazing. Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of just go grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.